Um, walking through the book of Matthew, looking at the teachings of Jesus so that we can be better followers of Jesus. And we come to this passage in Matthew chapter 20, and it's one of the most unique things that Jesus ever teaches. I've been looking forward to this since before we started the series. It is a weird passage. Um, so yeah, please, if you could, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of the green Bibles that are on the uh, armrests and things, pass them down the row, whatever. Um, this passage, most of the things that Jesus says, you may, you may feel conviction, like, oh, yeah, I'm not very good at that, but he's right, and and, you know, give it to him, Jesus, and, you know, really want to hear what he has to say, and it makes sense, and it's just and true, and we're glad, and, and we feel good about ourselves, and see the bad people over there, and, yeah, you need to, uh. This passage, though, is weird. It doesn't sit well with me. It, it, it's one of those deals where, okay, so, so we are Americans, we are Western, and we are modern, and if you deny that you have those three things, at least a part of your psyche, you're denying too much, because you do. I mean, we are all influenced by Western thinking, by modern achievement, by American values, and the earn, and the gain, and the you know, work hard, and, 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 and fairness, and things like that are a part of who we are. But Jesus tells this passage, and you could, you could put the staunchest Republican over here, the staunchest Democrat over here, and they would both look at this passage and tell you about how unjust and unfair it doesn't work for either group. It, it's, it's, it really points, so, so there's a place in scripture that, that says, a couple different places, that, that says essentially that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and this exploits that truth he also says as high as the heavens are above as high as the stars are above our head that's how high my ways are above your ways and this passage is going to show us that because it really just picks at the difference between god's view and who we are as humans so matthew chapter 20 it is, if you have a green Bible, on page uh, 689. <laughs> 689. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Now let me stop right here. The kingdom of heaven. Scholars, Bible scholars, call it the now, not yet. There are certain things that Jesus does where it's kind of true now in this life, but it's also kind of true in heaven. Eternal you know, judgment day stuff. This is a judgment day passage. Most of what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about post this life, talking about one day in heaven. So that's how he uses this kingdom of heaven for the most part. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, Jewish crowd would have understood this very well. A denarius is a day's wage. So a Roman soldier would have been paid a denarius, a fair day's wage. It was a specific amount. Let's call it $100 for our purposes today. Now at 6 a.m. is when the landowner would have gone out. The crack of dawn, the landowner goes out, and he goes to the marketplace, which is where you went in an agricultural society, if you wanted to work. And, and so you'd have a group of people there, waiting for work, and the agricultural guy, the landowner, the vineyard owner, is going to look for the strapping young bucks, the guys that can put in the best day's work, and he's going to hire them at 6 a.m., and this is a very fair wage that he's paying him, a denarius. 
And so they go and they work for a denarius at 6 a.m. So 6 a.m., full day's work in the heat of the day in the rough terrain of the Middle East, and they're going to get paid how much? A denarius, $100. Okay. About 9 in the morning, so three hours later, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, and he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. So there's a group that are already working for a denarius, and they've been there three hours already working. Next group comes three hours later at nine. They have a much shorter work day with the agreement that they're going to be paid a fair wage. <coughs> he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So now you have all these different shifts of worker. The work day ends at six. So you've got people that have already been working for six hours and nine hours when these new groups come in. Um, verse 6, about 5 in the afternoon, so there's one hour left in the workday, and they're not even on the site yet. He went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, Here's how a Jewish crowd would have seen that. He, they would have seen the group that is, this is harvest time. Everybody's looking for work. So if you're there one hour before the end of the workday and you still haven't been hired, there's probably something wrong socially, like you're a bad guy, you're an unwanted, or maybe physically you have a disability. There's a reason that you have not been picked to come work. There's something atypical about you. So the landowner looks to the have-nots and the looked-overs, and he says, you come, there's still an hour left in the day, you come and work for me. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. So the people that have been there 12 hours are still working. The first group he calls off the vineyard or the group that's only been there for an hour. That's not fair, right? I mean, that, that's simply not fair. The workers who were hired about at about 5 in the afternoon, they'd been working one hour, they came and they each received a denarius. They were each paid a full day's wage for one hour of work. They were paid $100. So they get the $100. It's not right. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more because that's fair. Right? I mean, that's fair. They had been working for 12 hours. They're probably thinking, I'm going to get paid 1200 bucks. This guy's paying $100 an hour. I have hit the jackpot. That's how we think, because that's fair. And this is God, so it should be fair, right? But each one of them also received a denarius, $100. Imagine what the union boss is saying there. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last uh, <clears throat> worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. 
I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This story is unfair. It stands against how we think and how we act. Now, something happened this past week in the office, and I think it might help you. Uh, so Marcus is our worship guy, Dave is our youth guy, Jen is our administrator. And, and we had this day at the office that I thought might be helpful for you to understand this passage. So, for the record, I don't have a cat. <laughs> and I say that because if you cat people think I have a cat, you'll tell me stories about your cat uh, and how they have human-like qualities and, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't want to hear your cat stories because I don't really like cats. <laughs> but seriously, I don't want to hear them. <clears throat> um, so so this, this is a weird story, right? I mean, it just, it doesn't fit well. It doesn't, most of the times we hear about what God is like, we can get behind it, but this one is just hard for us, but there are so, and, and this, this story is only found in the, in the gospel of Matthew, none of the other gospels, but I think that it points out some very important differences between human beings and God, and so I want to talk about a few of those so that we can leave here with, with maybe some things that we can apply to our lives and be aware of. So the first thing that I think this passage goes a long way to do is I think it points out our biggest fatal flaw as human beings. In fact, I think you could look at this, at this one flaw, and it may be true that every single sin and every single injustice goes back somehow to this one fatal flaw, and it's exposed... When we see the land, when we see the workers saying, 
they got paid for only one hour. And then the landowner says, well, you were fine working for a denarius before. What's the problem? And it shows our human tendency to be completely content until we see that guy or that girl. And then we say, but, but, but they, have, they have that. I want that. I, I des- there's an entitlement. I, I deserve that. That's not fair. They have that. So if we were to journey back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, um, very important passage theologically, very important passage in understanding humanity. It's a moment when Adam and Eve are given everything from God that they could possibly want. They're in a perfect environment. They have a relationship with God where they talk to God face to face. Um, Eternal life, a life apart from any kind of sadness or pain or sickness or death. Everything is great. And they wake up one morning and everything is great. But Satan, who knows humans pretty well somehow, is able to pull on this fatal flaw. Here's where it comes from, okay? Human beings have a great moat. Most human beings, 99 point whatever percent, have a tremendous desire and radar for justice because God is just and we're made in the image of God. And so we get justice and we love justice. Now, justice has a close cousin called fairness. And we love fairness. And fairness is almost always good. But fairness has a close cousin called equality. And I have to be careful how I say this. But equality says, well, if that guy has that, I deserve that. And that's where things get ugly in human beings. When we begin to say, but she has that. I don't have that. And so Adam and Eve wake up one day, and Eve finds herself in a conversation with Satan in the form of a snake. I don't know how it worked. But Satan is able to manipulate Eve by pulling on this concept. So Adam and Eve were naive. They did not have the ability to discern good from evil. The Bible says they had no knowledge of good and evil. They were just inherent. They were good. They were perfect and pure. And God withheld from them the ability to discern or conspire for evil purposes. So what does Satan do? Eve is interested in in the fruit of this tree, but she tells Satan that she's not allowed to eat it. And what Satan does is he says, oh, no, no, you're not going to die. God knows that if you eat this from this fruit, he said, you'll have the ability to know good and evil, and it will make you more like God. In other words, she said, Satan says to Eve, God has that ability. You don't have that ability. God just doesn't want you to have that ability. And so all of a sudden, Eve, who is living in the midst of perfection, says, but I don't have that. I should have that. So what happens? She eats from the tree of forbidden fruit. She gives some to her husband. He eats from it as well because they both become envious of something they don't have. They both feel entitled. They both feel deserving. And this is the fatal human flaw. And here, I, I could not this past week think of one sin 
that doesn't or one injustice or act of oppression that doesn't somehow go back to somebody saying, I should have that and I don't. <coughs> this is a fatal human flaw. You know where I saw it most recently in action, in living color on stage, is uh, Deal or No Deal. Remember when Deal or No Deal was big? How many of you watched Deal or No Deal? I think almost everybody at some time at least saw deal or no deal with all the cases and you got a case and then the banker was going to come and make you an offer to buy your case and the offer changed based on the kind of numbers that were in the cases left on the board and so it happened week in and week out <clears throat> I like to believe I'm above this but too many people from too many walks of life did this so I must it must you know must be like this for everybody. So you, but there's always a hard luck story. You know, somebody, uh, a single dad or a single mom who, you know, didn't have a job and, and coasted into town on, on fumes and, and they had two children or whatever. And you're wanting them to get money. You want them to win. And they have their family and the, their best friend to coach them. And inevitably, they'd be down to about five cases left or 10 cases left or whatever and a couple of big numbers on the board, which meant they were going to get a decent offer from the bank. So the offer comes in $98,000. Deal or no deal? And, and I don't know about you, but if I went out to my mailbox tomorrow morning and there was a manila envelope with $98,000 in it, that's a pretty good day. But you would see it. I mean, you're thinking, oh, I'll take the deal. You got kids, you got, you know, this, this could be two years worth of income to find your next, oh, it'd be, just take the deal, please. And he's, and he's, and, and the debate is, oh, man, but if I just open these cases, I could get even more. And, and you see the parents, you know, the 75-year-old parents are like down on their hands and knees, please think of your children, take the deal. And the kids are like, take the deal, Dad. We want to eat tomorrow. But the best friend, the best friend says, oh, it's your lucky day. We talked about this. It's your lucky day, man. You just got to open two more cases. And so he slams that case down and says, no deal. And the crowd goes wild, and he opens the next two cases, and they're always the big amounts, and then he's offered 1500 bucks, And then he rides it out and goes home with seventy-five. But that exploits that human condition that says, oh, I just want that little bit more. Before the show, he would have been content with $98,000. Somehow in the show, $98,000 doesn't look so good. This past Christmas, I have two boys, four and seven, names withheld. <coughs> I didn't think I could get permission for this one, so names withheld. We open Christmas gifts at my, uh, my mom and dad's house. It's always a sea of gifts. It's an hour and a half affair. They get more than they know what to do with. We all do. They get everything on their list and more. And my one son opened his last gift. It was a middle, of, I mean, it was a cheap, no big deal, $20 plastic Cleveland Browns helmet. But he was the only one that got that particular thing. And you could see it in my other son's eyes in the midst of a pile of gifts, more than he could have ever wanted, wrapping paper everywhere. You saw it hit. But I didn't get a Browns helmet. He got a Browns helmet. And you just see that like slouch. 
But we all do that. I remember when my wife and I moved into our one-bedroom apartment in North Royalton thinking it was the greatest thing. We are going to rattle around in this thing. Look at all this storage. Look at all. It was ours. And we were completely content, even more so. We were thrilled. And all of a sudden, you start to see what other people have. And that apartment starts to shrink. And so does your level of contentment. We have this fatal flaw in us that says, but that guy has that. I deserve that. That guy got a denarius. You're going to pay me that. I deserve more because I did more. And that leads us to all kinds of problems in our relationship with God. The second thing that we need to see out of this passage, I think, that affects our everyday life is, <coughs> and this is what stand against, stands against the American spirit, the salvation thing, the kingdom of God thing, is not really a fair pay system. It's not based on works. It's not based on earning. And it's certainly not fair. But for us, we are in desperate need of a God who is not fair. Here's why. We've all wrecked the ship. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 3, and what Paul's really doing is quoting David in Psalms. Um, and and this, is, this is the word of God on the human condition. If you're interested, it's on page 784, Romans 3, 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, this is not a pick-me-up passage. And there are times where I'd look to say, well, I've never shed anyone's blood. I've never been, like, quick to shed blood. And, you know, I like to believe that I'm not as poisonous with my words as a viper and, you know, things like that. But here's what I can tell you. I am amazed at how how far over the line many of my thoughts and many of my actions. I mean, I'm always a couple minutes away from having things enter my mind or coming out of my mouth that are flat out horrible. And what scripture says is that when we engage in that behavior, even once, but it's not once, we dip into that kind of behavior regularly, even if it's just our thought life. But as soon as we do that, we forfeit the right to be human. We forfeit our relationship with God. And we're cut off from Him. The only thing we deserve for a holy and pure God, the only thing we deserve as followers of a Savior who never sinned, is to be cut off from him. We don't deserve that relationship. And so we can spend a life of doing many, 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 many uncountable great things and get to heaven and say, now give me what I deserve. Pay me what I deserve. And it's going to be a bad eternity for us because we are all sinful. But the message of this parable that Jesus tells is that it's God who invites and it's God who pays the same. 
because God is generous. God is for you. God is for me. God wants the relationship. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll close up with this. Ephesians chapter 2. It's like Paul has this passage of Scripture in his mind. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. So he's saying, basically, your sins have killed you spiritually. You're done. You're without hope. You can't earn a living when you're dead, right? Verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Anybody here ever gratified the desires and cravings of your flesh? We all have. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So we were deserving of punishment because we're sinful. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, undeserved gift, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches. It's a continual, it's an eternal payout of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, not through earning it so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has good works in mind for all of us. God wants us to be productive in his vineyard, so to speak. But it's not for pay. Because we all get paid the same working for God. And it's an eternity And it's a relationship with God. It's forgiveness of sins. It's freedom in that relationship. So it's not about pay because who could ask for anything more? We all get paid the baseline, but the baseline is more than we could possibly want. Two points of application. Number one, the highest standard in life is to be like God. And so we need to live life like this landowner. We need to live life not concerned about paying out equally, but blessing even those who don't deserve it. (coughs) We need to stop withholding love and withholding blessing until it's earned. When you're with God, it's for everybody. Because God is for everybody. And so this week, bless people who don't deserve to be blessed. That'll keep you busy right there. Because God blesses us and we don't deserve it. And secondly, and I'm going to talk about this more in the fall, because this is one of those big deals in my life right now that I'm trying to sort through in my own journaling time. We tend to live consumer lives for the here and now, thinking about, I want that, I need that, that guy has that, I want that too, I deserve that. But in the kingdom, there's a greater understanding that God is your source, that your relationship with God is more than enough. It's an eternal payout. It never ends. And so we need to decide what our enough is, and that enoughness needs to be centered in a relationship with God more than anything else. 
we need to stop comparing and start realizing that God is more than enough. A relationship with Jesus is more than enough. And then live life knowing that we have our needs met. So we need to stop trying to earn it with God and stop trying to earn it here. All right, we're going to pray and then we're going to have our prayer time, prayer song. And I want you guys during this to really think long and hard about, about the message of this parable and the enoughness of God. It's a chance to sing to God and tell him that he is more than enough and wrestle in our own hearts. While we do that, if you have anything at all that you need to pray for, uh, me and Mark Simonitis, he didn't even know it, but we're going to be waiting up here for you. And if you have anything you need to pray for, just come on up while we sing and we'll pray with you. So will you stand? Let's pray. God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being unfair. Because we cannot earn your love, we are far too sinful, but you have poured it out on us. Please help us to see you as a God who is for us and with us. Help us to stop trying to earn what you've already offered us in full. In Jesus' name, amen.